Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome into the 747th episode of Illegal Motion Podcast. I don't know the count, actually, because uh, we are without three, the professor. I think it's 321. 321? Okay. Well, we are without the professor. He has the official count, so I'm just going to make up an arbitrary number <laughs> just, just so we don't screw up the, the, the intro. Uh, it's the Illegal Motion Podcast. Joining me is my main man from the Windy City, Chicago. It's Josh Cook. What's up, man? You know what, Coach? I'm going to be honest. Like, today was a grind. I am so tired. I feel like Lou Holtz just leaving the Cracker Barrel, feeding a bunch of biscuits. I'm ready for a nap. <laughs> that is that is quite the that is quite the reference. I love it, man. I, that is that is that's grade A stuff, dude. So, um, I, I like our lids. I, I got the Hayden Fry. You got the Ray Goof over there. I got the I got the Ray Goof, courtesy of uh, Matt. So he he, go. he got this for my birthday. And uh, yeah, I'm debuting it tonight. Unfortunately, he's not here to see it, so he'll have to he'll have to see it next week. But um, yeah, glad to have you, man. This is a, a short pod. Obviously, the uh, the graphics aren't the graphics package. I don't have the graphics package, so you get this, uh, which is which is just fine with me. You Perfect. get my you get my Iowa shot in the studio. Yeah, I did that for you, Josh. Thank wanna you. Make you want to make you feel at home. Yeah. Um, so do you have? Do you guys have fall break? What is fall break? <laughs> you don't know what fall break is? Y'all don't have that up there? Nah, we, yeah, we, we, we got Thanksgiving. We'll, we got some time around Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, we, 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 have, we like, do. We do. A, a, we have a week-long fall break uh, between first and second oh, quarter. That'd be nice. Yeah, we don't do that. Yeah, you we should. You got, Well, you guys start like two weeks later, don't you? Yeah, that's true. That is also true. So Yeah, we just we just get that week back at some point. Definitely. You know? Yeah, it is what it is. So, um, but yeah, we have a really fun show for you guys to uh, on this episode. Uh, we we're gonna we're gonna look back at a few games, but mostly we're gonna look ahead. We got a pretty good slate of games uh, from around the country, so we're gonna we're gonna get into it, Josh. But last week, man, what did we learn from last week? Well, I think we got to start with with your dogs having a real close meltdown there on the plains um i'm curious as a georgia lifer kind of the insider's perspective and then then i'll give my outsider's perspective on the game but but what was it like watching that one well it was nerve-wracking <laughs> to say the least <laughs> I, no i mean you know i it, it's it's a team that has a lot of pieces that have been missing and you have a quarterback that has never started or even played in an environment like Jordan Air Stadium and to see him kind of work through those issues was actually really good and to have a safety net like Brock Bowers makes it really really good and I felt oddly confident that we weren't going to lose that game because we had 19 in there um and and they couldn't throw the ball to save their lives they were very one dimensional so they weren't going to they weren't going to move the ball fast so I knew if we could control it and just push it ahead then we could pull that one out. So at certain points I was nervous because we could, we were having a hard time running on him and we were having a hard time uh, protecting Carson Beck. But once he got settled in, 
we were we were just fine. And and once he and he really grew up on that ninety eight yard touchdown drive to to take the lead. That's when he grew up the most. So hopefully you'll see a Georgia, different Georgia team this week, and we'll talk more about that later. What was your outsider's perspective? What were you thinking? Yeah, well, my outsider's perspective was we haven't had any fun upsets yet this year, so a, a little tiny part of me was like, well, that'll upset the race. I'd feel bad for you, Coach, but that certainly make things interesting of the number one team. I don't think down. there's a true number one yeah. team right now. Like, I, I think there's a lot of teams yeah. that are just bunched up. That, but yeah. there's no one dominant team. That's that's kind of how I see college football right now, which I think is good yeah. for, for the sport overall. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Michigan has been the most dominant, but they've admittedly not really played anyone just yet. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of an interesting – I still really like what I've been seeing from Washington. I know they had a, a close game down in the desert, but any Pac-12 fan will tell you if you survive a trip to the desert, especially a night game at Arizona or Arizona State – um, any Pac-12 fan would take that. Um, my oh, takeaway yeah. was as much as we all understandably hate Hugh Freeze, it was a reminder of, holy crap, he can really coach because Auburn was awful on third down. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, they could not pass a lick. And they weren't just hanging with the number one team. They were up at stretches of this game. Um, I did find it interesting, though, that when things started to not go as well for Auburn, they started to pass a lot more. So their last three drives of the game, they had a three-play, five-yard drive. Um, on first and 10, they did a pass play and got a medium gain, and then they ran it twice. They'd been running so well, I don't know why you – Throw that, that pass in on first down. That um, that, that then, was that was odd because yeah. they they could have really controlled the the game and kind of really put some pressure on Georgia for that. Yeah. So then uh, the next drive they got a field goal. This was the game tying drive to get to twenty. Um, on uh, so on third and four they complete a pass to get a fresh set of downs. They run it on first um, and pick up four yards second and six they pass it incomplete so now Mm -hmm. they're in that kind of third and what's their you know what's their game plan there they're not passing the ball well they did throw it long yeah Yeah, they did throw it and then it was a very classic uh greg davis at iowa play four yard completion on third and six doesn't really help you all that much um so that was kind of you know, confusing series. And then their final drive of the game down 27, 20, they had a turnover on downs. Um, they, on no, first they and got 10, picked off. they got picked yeah, off. Yeah. On first and 10, they ran it for just one. Mm-hmm. Then they abandoned the running on second and nine incomplete pass third and nine incomplete pass fourth and nine was the interception. Yeah. I, I don't think, you know, I would have, continued to run the rock. You still had um, like almost three minutes left in the game at that point. So yeah, I, I was much more impressed with Auburn than I really ever thought I would be this year. I sort of figured, you know, obviously Hugh Freeze is a better coach than Brian Harrison, but I did not expect them to in their fifth game under the new regime uh, tangle with Georgia that closely. They play hard. So here's the thing with Auburn. They, they play hard. They just don't have the, talent depth that they normally do 
Yeah, they they've got some pieces, but they they obviously are, have a glaring hole at the quarterback position, which in, in this league you can't have. Um, but they have a great home environment. Their defense is always good. So I mean, it's just a recipe for, you know, it's it's just you don't it, it's know. a it's a testament to Mel Tucker's player development that both Michigan State and Auburn have quarterbacks who lack the ability to throw. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Love it, man. Um, but they, they had like the two quarterback system going down there with Robbie Ashford uh, coming in for some run situations, yeah. which made no sense to me. It didn't um, make sense to me either. But it, it just felt like they were – it was obvious that they did not trust Peyton Thorne um, yeah. to do to do anything in the passing game because they just limited him there. Um, but Jarquez Hunter is a dude. He might be a Sunday player. I don't know if he's a Sunday starter, but – he can definitely play on Sundays. That dude runs hard. And yeah. I, I, I respect the hell out of Jarquez Hunter. So moving forward, the concerning thing for Georgia is, and this is what we talked about, who's going to step up in the, in the in the center of that defense? We still haven't seen that yet. Yeah, like There still isn't that dominant run stopper that you're, you just don't have to worry about. Now it's they're getting way too many yards right up the right up between the guards. And that's concerning. Uh, the communication is concerning. The execution, because of the lack of communication, is really kind of the culprit of why Georgia starts slow and why they kind of have some issues. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want Do you want to talk Notre Dame Duke? Yeah, would love to talk. It. This was uh, that was a fun game. Yeah, this was a uh, an upcoming game. Was a Big Twelve game broke out in the SEC. This was a Big Ten game broke out in the ACC. For Notre Dame Duke, it was uh, man, it was a grind them up, eat them up game. It was fun to watch. Um, you know, Notre Dame, I think, like we we kind of know know them now based on that Ohio State close game, this close game at Duke. They're just a solid football team, and you look at the rest of their schedule. We'll talk about their Louisville game coming up. Then they have the big one with USC. Um, so they'll probably, you would think, maybe have at least one more loss on this slate. They also travel to Clemson. So Notre Dame, you know, I think they're going to lose at least one more time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Freeman seems like he's kind of building something. They kind of have this identity. And, uh, you know, I hate to go to the Lou Holtz thing, but they are a tough ball club. They have mm-hmm. a level of physicality that, we haven't seen because of, well, we'll talk about the LSE game in a moment with Brian Kelly. Uh, so what I learned from the Duke side of things was, man, Riley Leonard is freaking awesome. Like, you know, I, I think if he doesn't get hurt on that last play, um, you know, I think you change a couple of plays at the end of that game. We talk about Duke with this monumental win on, on game day, but I think everyone around the country was kind of ready for the clock to strike midnight on Duke and have mm-hmm. us sitting here talking about, Oh, they lost by three or four touchdowns. It's same old Duke. It, it's not same old Duke. It, you know, if there's ever a moral victory, which all three of us, if Matt was here, all three of us hate moral victories, but if you ever were to label a game one, it would be what Duke did. Duke acquitted themselves so well in that game. They really did. I mean, I, I think they, I think they're proving that they do belong in college football now under Mike Elko. Um, and I, 
a loss is a loss and, and, and it stings. And I know Mike, Mike Elko is not celebrating this yeah. moral victory, but I think for the rest of the country, we now notice Duke. Like you're not going to overlook Duke. They're a tough football team, well-coached, and they have an elite quarterback in Riley Leonard. And I think uh, they are going to be somebody you have to pay attention to because they're going to, if they start recruiting, they can start kind of building like they did on that other sport that they play basketball. If they can start recruiting, if they can pull a few recruits year after year to that caliber, they will start becoming an elite year in and year out ACC team right now. They're not there yet, but they are showing that, Hey, we have the capability of doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think you saw it a little bit with Cutcliffe. I'm getting a few more players in the NFL, including most notably Danny Dimes being a high draft pick for the Giants. If, you know, Riley Leonard comes back from his high ankle sprain, he looks good. You know, he continues this hot streak. And then whenever he decides to go to the NFL, if he's another high pick, I mean, that that could be a little something brewing there where, um, you know, there are some incredibly prestigious prep schools that have really good football and, and Duke might be an attractive destination for them with that. And if they know, play the portal right too. Yeah, exactly. If, yeah. If they play the portal right and not like not over not overdo the portal, but you know, get some guys, get some pieces. Yeah. I, I think I think they can be pretty good. Yeah. Um on the Notre Dame side of it, you're seeing a team that is growing up right before your eyes. Like the Ohio State game was all of Freeman all of Marcus Freeman's inexperience coming out not being able to sub with 10 guys on the field um take you know i I kept i kept thinking in the back of my mind take the freaking take the freaking penalty and and do a substitute like just just take the penalty to get your guy on the field right and and he didn't do that that was just an experience in in a big game and he learned from that obviously and and he was able to pull this one out against a team that's i don't want to say equally as good but Although, Coach, I got to ask, does one man really make the difference? Because in a red line situation, um, Florida lined up with 13 guys and Kentucky still scored a touchdown. Well, that's Florida. (laughs) (laughs) That's Florida. That's Florida in a nutshell for you. (laughs) That that defines Florida. Who's 18-point favorites over Vandy, which I don't think they should be 18-point favorites over anybody. (laughs) Uh, should we move uh, move to the complete opposite, the shootout game down there in uh, yeah. Ole Miss? Yeah, so that game, like, defense optional? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, two, two things that stood out to me. Um, Ole Miss finally found a way to stop somebody. They got some key stops at the end. Like, I, I think yeah. they figured out, like, okay, this is how we're going to win. We're just going to get a few key stops. I don't know what goes through Lane Kiffin's mind when he plays Alabama. It's like it, it's like his brain gets scrambled. You know those commercials where it's like this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. You could do the same thing with this is your this is Lane Kiffin's brain. This is Lane Kiffin's brain when he plays Alabama. And I, I don't understand it. I was thinking that Lane Kiffin. It, this is gonna be a really weird reference. Um, have you seen the Princess Diary movies? Um, so. Like in it, there's this scene where there's this guy who's like poisoned a glass. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, ah, but I knew you would switch the glasses. 
So I actually, but then he starts to think, but what if you knew that I knew I was going to switch the glasses? So you switch it back. It's this whole back and forth thing. I'm wondering if Kiffin is like, I want to do this change, but Nick Saban will know that I want to do that change. So that I'm going to do this change instead. And he ends up just completely outthinking himself because he, he definitely outcoaches yeah. himself for yeah, sure. That's 100% right. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rare to score 55 points and win a game when you have 11 penalties for 121 yards. Like Ole Miss yeah. didn't even play at like maximum efficiency in that yeah. game. They had 700 yards, almost 400 through the air. They, they kept trying to lose, and yeah. Ole Miss, and they kept trying to lose, and LSU wouldn't let them. Um, I think this might be my stat, my favorite stat. They ran 317 yards, 49 carries, to average over six yards a carry for almost 50 yard, 50 attempts is just like you. You almost never see that unless you're playing like an FCS school or something, you know. Like, yeah, I, I would have guessed they would have blown blown them out if if you read that stat to me without any right. other any other piece of yeah. information. Um, so what does this mean then for LSU? Because I mean, uh, it, well, it, it it means that well, the, a they've got a long way to go in the in the SEC West race. Uh, first of all, uh, second of all, what it means is well, um. Yeah, they're going to have to find some defense um, yeah. because they had no answers for Jackson Dart and and what he was doing uh, in the pass game. Yeah, they had no answers for Quinchon Judkins. They had no answers for a lot of things. Um, offensively, uh, they played extremely well for a long time, and then all of a sudden, Ole Miss figured one or two things out, and once they figured that out. They couldn't do anything. Like Florida State figured it out early and never yeah. really let them get going. No. Um, teams that, you know, they just don't really adjust well. They still have two tough road trips left. They traveled to Alabama in early November, and then a game yeah. we're going to preview later in our show, a game that when the season started, we didn't think too much about it. But that trip to Missouri, as we'll, we'll talk about here shortly, yeah, definitely has changed with the start the Tigers have had. So – well, let's you get know, into it. Let's get, well, let's, let's just there, jump into it. I was going to say there's just a few things I want to tie, just a few loose ends from last week. Okay. Um, just some some truly like WTF coaching to to hit on, starting with in your neck of the woods, Middle Tennessee. Uh, I don't know. This, yeah, I don't know if this has made the the media there in Nashville. I don't know if this is being talked about a lot, but. Middle Tennessee. Uh, they're, too, they're too busy talking about Derrick Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Middle Tennessee, they've lost three straight mm-hmm. to uh, to fall down to one in five. They, the lost to, they, they lost to Jacksonville State last night. I think, they did right? lose to Jacksonville State last night, and um, that game was, was yeah, shelled real ugly um, for them. They, you know, they, they lost by two touchdowns, gave up 21 fourth quarter points. Um, they had 563 yards of offense and 454 through the air, which like was awesome. They had four turnovers. Um, they had 55 penalty yards. They just seem really sloppy. And I, I don't know. 
enough about the buyout situation and everything going on there, but but this is this start by Rock's, Rick Stockskill is pretty deflating. I think you can probably write them off for making a bowl game because they still have a trip to Liberty, who's undefeated. They still have a trip to New Mexico State, who went bowling last year, and they're looking pretty good. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's more losses coming for this Middle Tennessee team. And then the other the other one I wanted to get into is I think it's time for stock to retire. I, I yeah. just I just think it is. Yeah. Um another one to get into is Scott Satterfield. And this was a hire that all of us were completely out on. We're like, what is Cincinnati doing going from Luke Fickle to Satterfield? Like, really? That that's the best you could come up with. They've lost three straight. And it just, it baffles the mind. The BYU game, they lose to BYU 35-27. Um, they outgained BYU 498 to 265. They ran for 242 yards in that game. But they had two turnovers, and they are awful in the red zone. And it's just, that's the same thing Louisville did. It's the same thing that they did earlier in this year when they lost to Miami of Ohio. They lost the keg and nails trophy for the first time in like 20 years. Yeah. I, I mean, you talk about it and it's just an awful, awful first impressions. I mean, Cincinnati, they've lost three straight now. They're two and three. Um, they still have three more road trips, including one to West Virginia, who's surprisingly frisky sitting there at four and one. Yeah. Um, like uh, they also get Kansas. Kansas, we're going to talk about here in a moment. Kansas looks pretty good. It's you know, it's not looking good for Cincinnati, and I, I think that's a just a terrible hire that's going to set them back now if things don't change. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I'm that just left me scratching my head, and that's really all I can say about it because I told you so. He <laughs> showed you what he had at, at Louisville. Yeah. I think we all told them so. Yeah. How are the it, three of us not athletic directors? Come on. Yeah, we should be. I'd be a terrible <laughs> athletic director, actually. I need to be. Oh, really? I need to be doing X's and O's. Yeah. You could be. Uh, I need to be the head coach. You could, you could double it up. You could be the AD head coach combo. There you go. Hell yeah. So, all right. Well, do do we want to get into next or this week? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so where do you want well, to start? start you know, let's start in Columbia. That's a good transition. We were talking That's about good. Missouri earlier. Yeah, all right, let's start in Columbia. So uh, Fro Field welcomes the LSU Tigers, who are coming off a, well, for outsiders, a very <laughs> thrilling game that they came up short on. But for uh, true SEC fans and Tiger fans, there's a little bit of concern there. Uh, Missouri has really kind of been the surprise of the, of the conference this year because a lot of people, including myself, did not give them any credit. Uh, we we said Drinkwitz was going to be first fired. We we thought they were just mm -hmm. just a team that was bad. I think, at, I think at one point I called them Dinkowitz, and when I got corrected, I said, "Eh, it doesn't matter. He's not going to last." <laughs> yeah. So for that, if you're if you're watching and you're a, a fan of the Missouri Tigers, uh, I applaud you for watching the show after we hammered your team. But they uh, y'all have y'all have surprised me. 
Um, so this game has gotten a lot more interesting uh, because now Missouri has found their way into the rankings. Uh, Luther Burden. Oh yeah. All I can say is wow. Like that guy can do just about anything that you want. And he's electrifying. He's a big play waiting to happen. He is a massive, massive problem for opposing defenses. And what concerns me about LSU is normally their DBU, right? What'd they do last week? Mm, Not a whole lot defensively. Couldn't cover. (laughs) I I think there's a a chance that Luther Burden's going to have a huge, huge day for Missouri. I'm gonna I'm gonna praise Luther Burden by hammering my own Hawkeyes. Uh, Luther Burden this year he has 43 receptions, 644 yards, five touchdown receptions on the season. Iowa as a team currently has 61 completed passes, 669 <laughs> passing yards, and five touchdowns. Luther Burton is essentially the Iowa passing attack. <laughs> In one player. In one player, yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was watching him against Kansas State, I thought Kansas State was going to come in and obliterate them. I, I was like, yep, okay, Missouri's okay. And and yeah. I was like, okay, Kansas State's going to come in and just annihilate Missouri. Yeah. I kept watching the game going, yeah. okay, when's it going to happen? And yeah. Missouri, another long pass to Luther Burden. Like, they couldn't they couldn't cover Luther Burden. They couldn't get to, they couldn't get to Brady Cook. They couldn't, like, Kansas State was completely discombobulated. Yeah, and I mean, we don't want to make it sound like all LSU has to do is shut down Luther Burton. They have a pretty nice running tack. Um, their leading rusher, Corey Schrader, 463 rushing yards here in the young season. That's mm-hmm. a bit under 100 yards per game. And then Brady Cook, holy smokes. He's he's, he's cooking. Yeah, he's at about 1,500 passing yards. Uh, Coach, you're an offensive coordinator. Would you like your quarterback to hit 74.5% of their passes? I'd be elated if my quarterback hit 74% of his passes. I'd be elated if Carson Beck was completing at that clip. Um, it's been a little bit since I've taken a math class, but 11 touchdowns to a zero interception, that's a that's a pretty favorable ratio, right? I, I think so. Um, <laughs> yeah. My limited knowledge on ratios, I think I can make an educated guess yeah. and say that, that that's pretty good. So I, I think what this game comes down to really is like – depth. Ele- LSU recruiting a little bit higher, so their depth their talent higher and their depth is higher. I think like, it's the depth. The, but the, if Missouri, the depth up front, yeah. But if Missouri, if Missouri can hold up and and the depth doesn't come into play, uh, this is crazy. We love to talk about weather, you know. Why not? <laughs> yeah. uh, weather this weekend in the Midwest is gorgeous. It's going to be like sixty this weekend here in Chicago. Columbia should be pretty nice. Also. So heat's not going to be a factor. Hopefully that means if you're a Missouri fan, you don't get tired. That depth doesn't come into play. But just in terms of like starters to starters, I think Missouri has been clearly playing better, especially when you look at the offense versus defense matchup. Yeah, they, they have been. Um, they have been playing better across the board uh, we, in, in all positions. Are we talking ourselves into MIZ, COU? They are five and a half point favorites, so I think they can at least cover. I think they could win a tight game. I mean, it's yeah. it's a home game. I mean, it's a tough, tough yeah. place. I think when they get that place rocking, like you wouldn't think Faroe Field yeah. is, is a tough place to play, but secretly, yeah, it is. I mean, this is this is without a doubt Missouri's 
biggest game since those back-to-back years that they won the division, mm-hmm. which like, was eight years ago now about at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 14 and 15, I think, or yeah. 13 and 14 was the yeah. back-to-back. So, I mean, I mean, like you said, that place is going to be a rock. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a big game for Missouri. And for LSU, I mean, sometimes a loss like that, as you close ranks and, and you come out as a better team, but sometimes it also leads to finger pointing. And, you know, with Brian Kelly, like, I don't know, it's a personality thing for me. If my coach kept throwing me under the bus, like he does, I'd have a hard time mm-hmm. rallying with, with that personality and that coaching style. But yeah. that's just me. But it, it, as far as receivers matching up, I, I think Jalen, I think neighbors and burden is going to be a very exciting okay. uh, thing to watch like neighbors for LSU and, and, and burden for, for Missouri. So this game is going to, what I'd never thought would be must watch, but it is. So yeah. um, I'm going to go bold here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I like Missouri. Yeah. I mean, like maybe, maybe it'll blow up on our faces, but just in terms of how they've looked through five games, they're explosive, Missouri dude. has looked like the better team. They're explosive. Yeah. They they are explosive. It's yeah. it's incredible. It's incredible to watch. Um, yeah. But stay uh, in the SEC. Head yeah, on let's, head let's on stay, to your place. Yeah, let's stay in SEC. Uh, Georgia is welcoming Kentucky uh, between the hedges, and if you want uh, in depth look at it, believe in Georgia dogs uh, is where you can find a more in depth uh, preview of this game. Israel and I break break this thing down and, and kind of what needs to happen. But um, at a uh, surface level. Uh, Kentucky comes in, uh, some guy named Ray Davis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> legit. Um, absolutely legit transfer from Vanderbilt ran all over the Gators had a banner day, um, for Kentucky. Um, it's had a really, really nice year, um, fr- from a, you know, from a position, from a position group that I didn't think he was going to be tops in. He has emerged as one of the top guys, if not the top guy. I think Quinchon Judkins still has something to say about that. But um, that's going to be a very tough element, especially since Georgia's been struggling in run defense, which usually doesn't happen. Um, that's going to be a tough matchup. Barry on Brown, a Nashville product from Pearl Cone. Uh, he's a problem in the past game. He's an explosive player, special teams in the return game. He's somebody that can turn the game on its head pretty quickly uh, with a, with a long shot. Uh, He can get by you. Um, He can run through you around you. He is everything that we know Luther burden to be. He, and he's faster, I think than Luther burden. So he's a problem. I think, you know, if you're, if you're a Kentucky fan, what you're worried about is that this is going to play out, similar to the Auburn game where Kentucky just doesn't have enough passing Devin Leary in that Florida game was essentially a non-factor mm-hmm. and, you know, can Kentucky pass the ball enough to, to really, you know, pull off the upset or, or, or hang with Georgia that remains to be seen. But um, yeah, I, I think just this one to me as an outsider feels like it's going to be sort of a repeat of the Auburn game, but maybe even more favorable for Georgia because it's a home game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if it plays out like that, I think Georgia wakes up and I think they pull away a lot sooner. Yeah. Um, be, because of they had because they had that Auburn game to kind of wake them up. Um, the the hope is for Georgia fans is that um, this Auburn game was similar 
to that Missouri game last year where they had to eke out a win against a team that they should have blown out. And that that led them to, I think they won like the next five games by a combined score of like a million to nothing. <laughs> and and so against legit SEC opponents too. So this is this is a run now of all SEC games except for Georgia Tech at the end of the year um, for Georgia. So they are getting into their conference schedule. No more no more cupcakes. Uh, they got all of those out of the way. Vanderbilt. <laughs> yeah, okay. well, maybe, maybe one more cupcake, but uh, the the bye week maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think when you, when you look at Georgia, uh, you know what Israel and I talked about. It's just execution. I mean, we're so close on a lot of things. Like it's just execution. It's it's one one thing, one person breaking down or there's a communication error, or there's something that happens either on the offensive side of the ball or defense side of the ball that that leads them to just miss. Like there was a play last week where they had Oscar Delp wide open for a touchdown down the seam. Missed him. Yep. You know, things like that. That that like I think if he hits that momentum shifts, maybe it's a different game. Maybe it's not a different game. I'm not real sure. Um you know, I guess we'll never know, but those type of momentum building plays early are what on the road can get the crowd out of the game and what at home can juice up the crowd even more. So one game that I think about that this game could possibly turn into is remember when, when Arkansas came in to Athens two years ago, two seasons ago, ranked in the top 10 and everybody was like, Oh, watch out. This is, and then all of a sudden Georgia just, lays the wood on them mm-hmm. yeah like that could very that could very easily happen or like i don't know if, i don't like to me I, it doesn't seem like there's going to be an in-between either georgia yeah. it, either this this game's going to be like an overtime thriller type game like a really tight game or it's going to be a blowout it's not going to be one of those like 14 it's not going to be a 14 point game it's not going to be like a 17 point game or anything like that it's either going to be like georgia's kicking a field goal at the end to win or they they've got the third string quarterback in halfway through the fourth quarter type game. I, like it's, I do get it go one of two ways. I do get the feeling too. You know the um the the Gators beat Kentucky like twenty straight, mm-hmm. and that seemed like a huge monkey to get off Kentucky's back. Mm-hmm. Now they've won three in a row in that series. But the way it was talked about, Kentucky seemed like a bigger like bigger game for them to take down Florida and. Um, well, yeah, that's been such an insurmountable yeah. ri- uh, matchup that yeah. that's just like and, a huge thing. Yeah, and so I'm wondering if there, there might be a little bit of an emotional hangover too for, for no. the Georgia game and, and not. No, they, they always play Georgia tough too. Yeah. I mean, that the, you look at the, the history of this series or the recent history of this series, even going back to like 02, like I, that, there's very few blowouts in this series. I think 09, they beat us um, in Athens. Uh, you have the 07 game, which was a, which was a barn burner. You have a couple of those Jared Lorenzen games that were interesting. Nice. Um, you know, last last year's game was was a bit of a blowout, but the, the year before that with Liam Cohen and Will Levis and Athens, it was a little bit more interesting than people thought. Georgia kind of pulled away at the end, I think, because they got some momentum and they just kind of pulled away a little bit, which made it look worse than it actually was. But that was a very competitive game. Uh, the COVID year, it was like four. The game was like fourteen to seven. Like neither team could really get any footing offensively. Um, you know, nineteen was a was a slugfest in the rain with Lynn Bowden. Um, 
that they, I think Georgia won 21 to nothing, but it was like probably the hardest rain that either team has probably ever played in <laughs> that, that week, that year. Um, just like slug, these are like physical slug fests. That's usually how this game plays out. This matchup plays out. And it, it's, it's happened like that more times than not since I've been paying attention to it. I mean, Tim couch did some things against, you know, Jim Donnan's dogs. And it's just, it's a, it's a very interesting matchup. Kentucky's a very, very tough team. And under Mark Stoops, they're just very physical. Like they're like they're good on defense, and they will physically punch you square in the teeth. For sure, yeah. It's it's, it's gonna it's gonna be a fun game. As an outsider, it, it might 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 for you not be as fun. Nah. We've got <laughs> we've got. See, here's the thing, Josh. We've got two nannies under our belt now. That's true. So like all of the like tension of like oh we got to win because we need to win that natty is just completely gone and yeah. it's and it's freeing i mean you never like to lose a game but like I, I don't really you know how i used to like we used to talk about every game like how how intense it was and how exhausted i was after every yeah. georgia game it's not like that anymore I, I wouldn't know the feeling iowa hasn't won a national title since uh 1958 <laughs> yeah, well when you stack two in a row you'll start to kind of um <laughs> I don't think I don't think we will with this coaching staff. So probably not. No, you need to change coaching staff. You need to. Uh, I I've got my thoughts on Brian Ferentz, and you know I, his thoughts. You know, I was reading this fascinating article where Kirby Smart said he loves state fairs and uh, pork tenderloins. So speaking of pork that. tenderloins, and so let's talk about an SEC game. I mean, Big Twelve game. <laughs> um, the commissioner of the SEC, Craig Sankey, is going to be at this game, the Red River Shootout. Oh yeah, it's a early conference game. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be there, which is going to kind of ruin the Big Twelve parade here. Um, and what what's funny is like these two teams could easily rematch in the Big Twelve championship, which is the yeah. SEC championship. <laughs> I, I think the we Big Twelve. Have... I think the Big Twelve commissioner deep down is really hoping Kansas State gets into yeah. that game again. Yeah, which which I. I'm not sure that's going to happen this year because I, I think this might be the only game that Oakland, that either one of these teams loses, whoever loses this game, um, because o- Oklahoma were less clear on. Yeah, because they really haven't played anybody, but they have. I think they've done exactly what they should have done. Yeah. You know, Dylan Gabriel. I mean, they've they're they've got legit pieces, and they've been like e- like everything you expect them to do against the opponents that they've played, they've done. So for that. We know they've got at least that, but we don't know tested wise. Like they haven't been tested, like Texas has been tested. No. But I, I still think it's funny that we're going to have two that we could possibly have two SEC championships this year. <laughs> yeah, let's. Well, what do you think for the shootout? Are you, who are you going with? I'm going with Texas. Um, I'm going with Texas because they have been tested on the road at mm-hmm. Alabama. Not just any slappy team. It's at Alabama. Like that's not an easy place to win. Quinn Ewers is a Dude, I mean, I think Dylan Gabriel's a dude, but Quinn Ewers is a dude. Um, Texas is pretty stout against the run. Uh, I think Sarkeesian's a very creative play caller, and I, yeah. I and Ad Mitchell, man, like he transferred from Georgia. I'm not just saying that because I'm wearing a Georgia hat, obviously, <laughs> and I, I really like Ad Mitchell, but like you watch him play, like that dude just makes plays. Like there's no other way to explain it. That dude just makes plays. Big yeah, plays. I think the scary thing too when you when you're taking on Texas is 
just their wide variety of weapons. So, you know, by, by this point in the year, good receiver, you know, you figure you're getting about 50 yards a game or more as a, yeah. so by the, by the fifth game, if you've got, you know, around 200 yards, things are going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Texas has two guys over 300 yards, third guy closing in on 300 and a fourth guy at 150. Each of them double digit receptions. So they're mm-hmm. spreading the ball around. Then they're running back. Jonathan Brooks, almost 600 yards here, five touchdowns. So, you know, going back to a game we talked about earlier, like Missouri has a singular talent that's incredible right now at receiver. Well, Texas has a bunch of dudes. So what does Venables and Oklahoma do? And we don't really have an answer for that because they haven't been tested. I mean, their toughest game this year maybe the trip to Cincinnati, which, which they won 20 to six. Like, yeah. I think, I think that was, I think that yeah. was it. And and I think what you can glean from that is that they played in a mediocre environment and probably weren't completely locked into that game because they knew they could probably just walk in there. And it, it was almost treated as a, like a, like Cincinnati's a little bit more, than a than a, a G five team. I mean, soon they're going to yeah. be a Big Twelve team, but yeah, they they they're a little more than your typical G five. Which it was a it was an eleven o'clock, you know, it was just, it was just Saturday one, morning game. Like it was not nippered at night. Like yeah, it was just a whatever game. Yeah, and, yeah. And so they played it that way. So we we just don't know. Um, yeah. and, and I think they're talented. I think they can. I mean, I think they're fully capable of winning this game and and taking control of this game. I mean, they have a mental edge in this series uh, over over Texas. But if Texas wins it, are they officially back? <laughs> I think they were officially back uh, a few weeks ago in Tuscaloosa. Um, who was it? Uh, who was it that said that? Tessator. Tessator. That's right. I was. Uh, I believe it was their overtime victory over Notre Dame like week one and he's like texas is back and then i think charlie strong's team went like three and nine for the year (laughs) yeah and you're like are they back to three and nine (laughs) (laughs) Um, well believe it or not that's not the only ranked game to talk about there's there's one more ranked team ranked versus ranked that we wanted to get to and it features that notre dame fighting irish team that we mentioned earlier they hit the road to Louisville. Louisville's, uh, Louisville's another team that's kind of jumped in there and surprised me a little bit because not because I thought they were terrible. I mean, they were bad under Satterfield, and I just well, think that, that's the thing. Satterfield won eight games with them last year. It's like they they won eight games in spite of their coach. Yeah, it, it was weird because like they they just it just didn't seem like they should have been an eight win team. Like they, yeah. you know how you you see a team you're just like. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. That was <laughs> like, them. That was them. Like, I, I was just like, I, I don't get it. Yeah. And I just didn't know that they were, I really didn't know that they were capable of that and that they recruited to a level to where they could actually be a viable team. Yeah. I didn't give them that credit. I said, well, and Brom I think I said in the Brom preview, tracks transfers, though. That's the thing. He does, but still, like you just don't know because of what they were like. You're just like, uh, it's almost like a guessing game. 
Yeah. Well, the um, so for people that haven't seen Louisville, which might be might be a fair number because they are kind of flying under the radar, they are undefeated. They're five and zero. Yeah. And they are doing it in a weird way because one week, like say against Boston College, they can put up fifty six points, and the next week they can win a defensive struggle thirteen ten. Um, their defense, which was always Brahms' issue at Purdue. It's doing pretty well. They're giving up just 17 points per game. They've got a top 25 scoring defense right now. And then what you do expect from Brom is incredible offensive numbers. Uh, Cal transferred Jack Plummer at quarterback, 1,400 yards, 66, uh, 65% completion rate, 11 TDs to mm-hmm. six picks right now. Uh, they have a really nice running game led by Joar Jordan. He's got over 500 yards on this season. Their passing game, they're spreading the ball around nicely with Jamari uh, tri- thrash, excuse me, leading the way with 444. So this is a multifaceted team. And then it's weird to talk about defense with Brom, but linebacker TJ Quinn, really nice to his season with 32 tackles already. Cameron Kelly, two picks already on the season. And then also very weird to talk about a third defensive player. Uh, have you seen Ashton uh, Giletti at all this season, coach? Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, well, I probably he, have. I just yeah. don't don't realize it. So through five games, he has five sacks. Oh, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to go. Well, he probably just got all five against Murray State. It's actually not the case. He, he's spreading the wealth. He's got one sack at NC State, three against BC, one against Murray. Um, he just is like impacting the game there mm-hmm. at that uh, at the line of attack. He, he's listed as a defensive lineman. When you look at his numbers, he's 6'3", 270. So he's almost more like a like a tweener type, just pass he, rushing specialist. He's probably so um let me let me let me look them up here. <laughs> Let's see here. Let me see what kind of defensive front they're playing. Yeah. Because I honestly I have not watched one single down of Louisville football. I've just been box scoring them. Well, they they played Indiana, so for the blog, I, I I caught a fair amount of that game, which was a weird one because Indiana had a crazy second half comeback and and tried to steal the game before Louisville uh, rewoke up. Louisville yeah. started hot, gave everything up, and then finished hot. But yeah. so so Louisville's been an interesting team for for watching them. Um, but yeah, I I think. I think it gets back to that Missouri LSU analysis where starters wise Louisville's probably played a little bit better than Notre Dame, but Notre Dame you figure has the depth mm-hmm. and the higher recruits. So that one's really interesting. I, I, I think, I don't know. I might've just talked myself into Louisville. It sounds like you have. And oh. uh, Louisville looks like they play a forefront. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, he's one of the, he's a five technique. He's a stand up in. So what they do, um, what they do is they have, they have three down guys and they kind of play what a lot of people like. It's, it's like a hybrid of like a forefront, but it's really like an odd, it's really like odd front personnel, but it's a forefront look. Yeah. And it, they, they stand him up. It'll be the, for the Irish. It'll be their third straight primetime game and second straight road trip where it's like the other team's Super Bowl, basically. Well, here, here's here's the thing. Here, here, here's the thing that I think with uh, 
with Louisville versus Notre Dame. And here's the thing I think about Notre Dame. I, I think when you look at the quarterback matchup, I, Sam Hartman's a special dude. Yeah, we definitely. we know that, and I, I think he's going to obviously be a major factor in this game because, well, he plays a major factor type position. Um, I, I think Notre Dame is starting to figure some things out execution wise, especially when it gets into like nut crunching time. Uh, I, I think they kind of figured some things out against Duke that they didn't figure out against Ohio State. Uh, I, I I believe that they've got some things clicking uh, defensively. They're play, they they always play physical. They fly around. They hit you, uh, especially when they play with 11, 11 guys. Um, and you're seeing you're seeing Marcus Freeman grow up right in front of your eyes, and I, I like it. I'm I'm a big fan of Freeman, and I think I'm a big fan of what he's building. Unfortunately, it's at Notre Dame, um, <laughs> so like the whole like getting Notre Dame fatigue is probably going to be a thing again. And so <laughs> I just for that I'm like okay, but Freeman's actually a really good coach, and I really like him, so um, I guess I can deal with it. And I honestly, I, I still, I still think Notre Dame is going to beat Louisville. I, I still think that they can handle them. I think Louisville is ranked, and they, and what they've done is extremely admirable. But I just think they're just, they just don't match up extremely well in this one. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I did learn something though. Uh, I, I, not knowing much about Louisville football, I thought it was still Papa John Stadium, but it no longer is. <laughs> it's Cardinal Stadium. There we go. Yeah, no Papa John's is no kind of a, yeah, it's a, that's kind of a that's not really a, a good name anymore. Yeah. Um, well, the final game we wanted to spotlight before our uh, our one for the road look was it it should be a ranked game. Yeah. Maryland is 26th essentially in the polls. Uh, not sure why three and two LSU who who got their butts because, to them because they're LSU. <laughs> Because they're gave, LSU. It's up, a name thing. Then gave up a thousand yards almost to uh to Ole Miss, got to be ranked. Maryland should be ranked. Maryland is five and zero, and they take on four and zero Ohio State. And this game is out in Maryland. And one of the biggest issues for the game is it's Fox's big noon kickoff. So it's gonna be a sleepy noon start. I would much rather have seen this be played as a primetime game, but, uh, but that's life. So mm-hmm. we got to wake up early to watch this game, but yeah. Um, so Ohio state, we, we, you know, think they're, they're going to be fine offensively. They, they looked better against Western Kentucky, but then we're held to 17 points to Notre Dame, Kyle mm-hmm. McCord, their quarterback. He's got some nice numbers, but when you look at the game log, they're not against, the same team. Yeah, against, against his first test, Notre Dame, pretty, pretty pedestrian. So for Maryland, it's a pretty simple recipe. A few years ago, Maryland took Ohio State to overtime, and it's because they have Talia Toga Viola. And he is the best quarterback Maryland has ever had in their program history. He's got 1,500 passing yards already this season. He's at 66% completion rate, 13 touchdowns to three picks. He's phenomenal. Maryland can make this a shootout. Maryland can, can you know, 
if this becomes an offensive back and forth game, Maryland has has the players offensively to do it. As we saw with that overtime game a few years ago, they did ultimately lose and, you know, tough nut to crack pun intended with Ohio state. But I, I do think Maryland certainly poses some interesting problems, especially by having a big edge at quarterback. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I think they're a team that a lot of, you know, obviously I think a lot of people are underrating because of who they are and what they've been. But Tonga Valoa is he he's again he's a special dude. I mean he's he's playing at a very high level at the quarterback position. And Maryland is one of those teams that were like you watch him play and you're like, okay, where where did this come from? Yeah, I, I do think the something that'll help Maryland more this year. It might not matter for the Ohio State, but. Mm-hmm. I do think what makes Maryland even more dangerous this year than past is their defense has been playing really, really good football. They're averaging just 13 points against them. The team that's actually scored the most points against them this year was Charlotte dropped 20 on them, but Charlotte actually had a garbage touchdown, a completely meaningless touchdown with like a minute left in their, their game. Um, to get to 20 points, they've held everyone else to four, excuse me, to 17 or less. Um, that might also be a deciding factor. I, I think a lot of people are just going to put, oh, it's it's Ohio State. It's a noon kickoff. You look at the football predictor, Ohio State's listed as having 90.5% chance of winning. Uh-huh. Vegas has them 20 point favorites. Maryland, hey, get this. Maryland almost beat this team a year ago. Yeah, I, I I don't know if Maryland ultimately wins, obviously. But I test-wise so far this season, I don't it, think Ohio State is three it, touchdowns better than it, it's it's gonna be another it's gonna be another game like last year. Yeah. Uh I I, I would definitely pick the points here, not necessarily saying Maryland's Maryland yeah. is um not necessarily saying they're they're going to win outright, but I, I still yeah. I, I think they cover. I mean, just look at last year's game alone when they had Stroud and they had all those guys that get drafted. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, they should have beat them if if they were a little bit more experienced and had a little bit more about them down the stretch. Yeah. They yeah. would have they would have won. They should also, have won. Also, just a quick correction: I had my notes uh, for this game flipped. I, I, I was. Thinking about last year's game, that one was in Maryland. This year's is actually at the shoe. That was that was my bad. Yeah, still but it, it still doesn't change. It doesn't doesn't do, doesn't change much because I, I think Maryland is a much more battle tested team right yeah. now. I, I think uh, Tonga Valoa going through some of those experiences a year ago will help him in this matchup. It will make the horseshoe a lot less intimidating for him. Because he knows that the the people wearing the jerseys aren't these mythical gods yeah. that everyone makes them out to be, and so yeah. I, I this mean, game's gonna be tight. yeah. And I mean, I think with his brother doing so well, honestly, we we kind of have this idea that like Talia's like little baby brother, like it's still like his first or second year in college. It it isn't. He's a senior. He's Maryland's all-time leader in basically like every passing stat that they have. Um, he's played in 
an insane amount of games so far. Like he he's seen it all and I would say he's done it all, but he hasn't knocked off one of these huge upsets yet. He hasn't knocked off Maryland, Penn State, or Ohio State yet. So he hasn't done it all, but he's pretty close close to closing in on it. If Maryland gets one of those three big upsets this year, then we can really say he has done it all for Maryland. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this game's going to be closer than than really what Vegas is saying. Absolutely, I'm 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 in total agreement for you. So as we wind down, uh, let's go one for the road, Josh. What do you got? Yeah, I'm intrigued by this Kansas uh, UCF game. Um, it's in Lawrence. Um, Kansas was playing all right there for for a half and a little bit into the third quarter um unfortunately their awesome quarterback daniel uh he uh he's most likely gonna sit for this game mm-hmm. um but but their backup jason bean he's played a lot of football and he he's looks pretty good at stretches for kansas uh but on the other side of the field i have no idea what's going through ucf's mind right now and, and you might have an answer, Coach. So the Gus bus last week was up 35-7 against Baylor. Ran out of gas. <laughs> and they lost, yeah, they lost the game 36-35. It's the biggest single-game collapse in UCF football history. It's Baylor's biggest comeback victory in their football history. This is now two straight losses for UCF what's the headspace of a team like this when you've done that? Uh, You've got to find a way to reverse that because that could be some bad juju there. Um, When you, when you, when you lose like that, as soon as that single shred of doubt in the next game creeps its way in there, it explodes and, and it just snowballs like it did the week before. And it just, every time there is a, tiny ounce of adversity if you can't get out of that mindset if you can't rid yourself of that funk it infects you the entire season and you start losing games that you should not lose because teams gain momentum and you're just can't and it spirals but the way to reverse it is to go out and completely curb stomp the next team that, that you play and and, and and do it again the next week and just make that your brain memory, your muscle yeah. memory in your brain. So I, I, I think that's the easiest way to explain it. What's your one for the road, Coach? My one for the road is Texas A&M uh, ver- uh, hosting Alabama. This is a very interesting game. Uh, A&M has shown that they are trying to be a viable candidate in the SEC West. They can go a long way in doing that. Uh, this week, I think the marriage between Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher is in a good place, <laughs> surprisingly. Yeah. And um, when they, uh, uh, you know, Anaya Smith has been explosive on offense. Their running game has been really good. Their defense has been playing lights out. They have, you know, they have monsters across the defensive line. They can get after you. And Alabama has quarterback problems right now. Mm. Not a good recipe for for Alabama in a game in Kyle field. Yeah. If this were in Tuscaloosa, I probably wouldn't be as worried about it, but this game's in Kyle field. So this thing got really interesting really quickly. So that's my one for the road. What do you like when you look at Alabama, 
and you look at the issues that they're having at the quarterback position, to me it's at first they didn't trust Jalen Milrow, and now they're trying to force feed him into being a pocket passer. Yeah, you know, in that Ole Miss game, I thought he really figured some stuff out. Um, we talked about that play where you know he threw a beautiful touchdown pass as he was getting just blown up on it. I, I think the pieces are there, but I, I'm with you, Coach. I don't know if the, the coaching staff knows fully how to that's a Tommy Reese manifest thing that. Yeah, I think a lot of I think a lot of Alabama's issues. You know, before I thought it was maybe deficiency at quarterback, but I've really started to to move that. I think this is a deficiency on Tommy Reese and that Mississippi State game. I mean, I, I don't know what you learn from a Mississippi State. Um, they they can't really do anything offensively because they are completely abandoning the Pirates' whole philosophy, which was if you're talently deficient, you even some things out by running this crazy passing style offense where you don't need as much physicality. You don't need as much talent. They're not doing that anymore. They're completely wasting Will Rogers, Mississippi state coaching staff. I'm sorry. I know you were thrust into the worst possible situation with the passing of the pirate, but you didn't help yourself by throwing out everything you'd ever done. The Mississippi state coaching staff needs an F minus right now. Yeah, and they still scored 17 points <laughs> on yeah. Alabama. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Like, that's that's my point with yeah. Alabama. Yeah. Like, you said all of that about Mississippi State, and they scored 17 points. Yeah, that's true. Like, that game that game last year would have been 49-0. to Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what, Coach? We unfortunately buried a lead. We don't like to do it, but we did. See, and, I, th- I thought maybe Matt wasn't here, yeah, and no. we would just and okay. we, and it's we, not we did it again for for my good friend Mitch. It's not going to be Arkansas. They've lost three straight. He's struggling. This is meant to be a fun little bit at the end, so we're not going to bury Arkansas's lead. What we buried was their next door neighbor, Arkansas State's lead. Oh, back from the dead down 73, nothing at Oklahoma. Butch Jones is getting memed on the sideline. Then they get blown out by Memphis. They're 0-2, write them off. What have they done? Knocked off Stony Brook, knocked off Southern Miss, knocked off Massachusetts. They're back on the plus side. They're 3-2, and and they travel to a really tough game. They travel to Troy upsetting Troy this week would be like the coolest thing ever for these Red Wolves. They they took mm-hmm. on the chin those first two weeks, but hats off to the Red Wolves for uh for kind of circling the wagon. So we buried that lead. I kept it in Arkansas. Dang, we buried the lead. Okay. <laughs> Damn, we got to we got to learn. We got to learn. And by the way, Troy's going to they're going to they're going to uh shell Arkansas State. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay. Well, Josh that's go. going to do it for us. Yeah. Here in uh here in this uh, two man weave here. Um yeah. We are going to get out of here. 
uh, we ha- we hope you have a great weekend. Good yeah. if you're hope and, your team and we wins. hope we hope Matt we hope Matt's travels go better. He's he's stuck at the airport or something. Traveling is just a disaster. If you <laughs> if you fly, just expect to be delayed. Just let's just go ahead and get that on the table. Like f- flying is just a mess. Yeah. <laughs> and no matter how no matter how you slice and dice it, flying is always an adventure, not in a good way. And yeah. so it, it's weird too because you know Matt took his his private jet there. <laughs> he took his hel- he he helicoptered there. <laughs> yeah. He rolls in in his Apache. He's got a personal Apache. I don't know why, yeah. but he's got a personal <laughs> Apache. Um God. <laughs> By the way, right. uh before we go, I'm watching this I'm watching this Bears game. They just showed a shot of Khalil Herbert on the sideline. They're making the I don't know what they are, but they're making these like things that look like dog collars. You know what those are? No. This legitimately look like dog collars. I don't know what it is. Okay, it's like a, it's like a, it stops like right here, and it's okay. like just tight around their neck. All right, that seems unnecessary. It's weird, is what it is. But anyway, I, I like that's neither I like, here nor there. I like that the fact that the Bears are awful and they have the first two picks in the draft, basically as it stands now, because they also have Carolina's pick and Carolina's awful. And yeah. then the Bears decide to, oh hey, let's let's finally wake up and knock off this awful Washington team. It's like, no, just they're, they're trying to lose, them. though. Just they're trying losing. to lose this game because well, their defense the, just stopped showing up. I mean, the reason they're trying is their their coach is gonna get fired. He's coaching for his job tonight. Yeah. They basically all but said they would have fired him, but they had a Thursday night game. Yeah. Like we can't fire him this soon. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we did it. Time, time to take my Lou Holtz nap. I just left the yep. cracker barrel. So, I gotta... yep. All right. Go take your nap. Josh <laughs> Cook, Corey Burton. We are Legal Motion, the Legal Motion podcast. Uh, Matt, hope you have safe travels. We'll see you back here next week. And as always, go dogs. Go Hawks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.